we can't change what we're not aware of, right? And I think there's value in getting feedback from others, no question about it, getting an objective perspective. But the truth is, is that everybody else is going to give you advice through their own filter of life, through their own lens of life, through their own trauma and experiences. And as much as they try not to, at a certain level, they're gonna project some of that onto you. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on, man. Dude, I, um, I'm i kind of intrigued by your story. I was digging into you a while and uh, excited to get you on here. I know you as a leadership coach. I know you got a new book coming out, so you're a new author on that. Uh, I know you're a player development coach. I want to dig into kind of what you did with that, kind of a that whole world I don't know anything about. I know you worked with Steph Curry. Is that real? You did that? He was director at uh, for Skills Academy. No way. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. And that's, yeah, amazing. But before all that, who was Mike Lee? It's funny you ask that because I think I'm in the process of coming back to that person over the last few years. Mm. And a lot of people look at my bio and they see the basketball aspect of it. But when I was younger, I think I was equally drawn to the arts as much as I was to sports. Mm. I felt just as comfortable in art class as I did going to basketball practice and sometimes more comfortable. I grew up super sensitive kid in small town, uh, middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And were you a Packer fan? I was not. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought we were going to have a problem and have to end this thing early, but okay. Minnesota Vikings. Like I'm, I'm thinking yeah. the only uh, <laughs> only guy from Wisconsin that is not a uh, Packer yeah. fan and treats it as a religion. Yes, it is very much a religion. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, we, we can keep going then. We're good. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I think I got pulled to basketball because I think it was a, a creative outlet. And I didn't understand that at the time, but I think basketball is the most creative sport that there is. And I went to a you know small school in, like I said, the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, went to a small college and played college basketball. But during the summers in college, a buddy of mine and me decided to put together a, a summer basketball camp. Mm. We just wanted to do it for fun and provide an opportunity for the kids in our town that would have had to drive three, four hours to get to Minneapolis or to Milwaukee just to have a quality basketball opportunity, a basketball experience in the summer. And this camp went from 100 kids the first summer to 200 the second year to 300 in the third year. And at that point, I decided I was going to try and turn this into a full-on business versus going and coaching college basketball or trying to coach in the coach in the NBA. I decided I wanted to, to work with kids in that development stage versus just latching on to some guy when he was already in the league. Yeah, yeah. And so... Took this company from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, super tiny town, hour and a half of Minneapolis to Milwaukee. We built a training facility where we worked with several NBA guys. It was a lot of, you know, middle school through high school players, but we you know, definitely spent time with a lot of high level uh, NBA guys, guys who got drafted in the NBA or drafted in the NBA draft, played in the NBA finals, hit game winning shots in March Madness. And by my terms, like had built a pretty successful business, but, um, I'd always dealt with depression my whole life. 
Mm. Growing up in Wisconsin, the winters were brutal for me. I'm talking not getting out of bed till three or four o'clock in the afternoon level of depression. My barometer was if Kobe Bryant's agent called you and said, Kobe is at your gym. We're in Milwaukee. We're going to play the Bucks, and Kobe wants to get a workout in and you don't want to get out of bed. That means you're probably not in a pretty good place. Yeah, and that's not good. And so it got to a point where I decided I am not taking another winter in Wisconsin anymore. I just could not do it. And I picked up and I moved out to LA purely for the weather. How much of that was, do you think, the weather? Like, did it get better than when you moved? Maybe you're going to get there, but... Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think as I've unpacked this journey, I've realized that it plays a part. It makes me more prone to it, but it's not the root cause. Mm. Um, and there is science that, that that shows that it can be. You know, it's seasonal affective disorder. I don't know all the research and, and all the details of it, but the sunlight affects your, your melatonin, your vitamin D, and your melatonin affects your serotonin levels, which helps regulate your mood. Like it's... There is a lot of theories. Some of it maybe is very research-backed now, but um, it's a real thing that people struggle with, you know, in the Midwest and the East Coast. But to answer your question, no, it wasn't the full answer, but it was part of the answer. I mean, it's definitely easier for me to to move through different emotional states when you know, the sun is out and the weather's great, mm. rather than staying inside and being isolated when it's negative 20 degrees outside and you don't want to go to the gym and you're running your own business. There's no virtual world back then, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that I could unpack with that, but I think it was a factor. I think the biggest factor was that I was tying so much of my self-worth to my accomplishments. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I got separation from it, right? Our gym was located in Milwaukee, pretty much all of our events we're located in the Midwest. So I, was, I had a lot of separation from it. And it really was a process of, and it still is, it, it is a continual process, right? Coming back to yourself and, and learning that something outside of you is never going to make you whole. Mm, this is so true. So LA. Hey, before I move on to LA, yeah, I, I lived in Grays Harbor, Washington. which is a county in Washington state down by Olympia, south of Tacoma a little bit. And uh, it's the grayest, rainiest area in America. And so like, that's where like the Twilight series took place there because it was like, where's the grayest area that vampires would live? Probably Grace Harbor. So yeah, I lived there for, what was it, 12 years. And like it, like it was real, like the seasonal depression, which, which the season of like rain was like August 1st through like July 30th, 30th, you know? So we had like two days of like just beautiful weather all year long and the rest of it was just terribly rainy and gray, but you could feel it like in my own soul. I felt it. I felt it everywhere. And I, I never wanted to be the guy that was like, I'm above my circumstances, you know, I'm content in everything. and everything. I wanted to be that guy. But then five years ago, when I finally like was able to break away and move to Maui, I'm like, I am legit a happier person, not a hundred times happier, but I'm good. Like twice, two times happier here with the sun. And yeah, I looked a little bit in the research too. And just like the, just having sun on your skin and uh, fresh air, I guess it makes a difference. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I knew it was an issue for me. Years ago, we had actually, ironically, we're doing this show here, but we played in a college basketball tournament in Hawaii Mm. when I was uh, a sophomore. And I'll never forget, it's a holiday tournament. It's in December. We get out here. I'm I'm not feeling great. Get on the plane. We land here and play in the tournament. And I'm feeling amazing, right? We get back. We fly back. Plane lands. Get off the bus. Go home go to sleep. 
wake up the next day and we're supposed to go to practice and like, I cannot get out of bed. It was crazy to me, the night and day difference of just a six hour, you know, six, yeah. seven hour flight, waking up the next day. I literally called one of our assistant coaches and I just said, I can't come to practice today. Like, just like, I'm not good. Mm. I can't come to practice. So yeah, it can be a very like dramatic shift just from the weather. I think that kind of, you know, it's not the unseen, but it's like, where's the science behind the sun? You know, you go into the woo world and there, you know, there's yeah. a lot of beliefs and stories and principles that, that, you know, there's a reason that like we used to rise and rise with the yeah. sun and go to sleep with the sun. And like there, we were in sync with it. Yeah. Right. Like there's a reason for it. And I think science is catching up to what shamans and all these practitioners have known for years, Yeah, right? There's a merging happening. You know, there's truth to it for sure. It's one thing I love that's about Maui. That's how people live out here. It's yeah, crazy. Maui. Yeah, people go to bed at sunset. They go to bed. First off, everybody makes a pilgrimage to the sun, to the, yeah, to the, the coast. Yep. Everybody Everyone watches the sun does. go down. Everybody yawns Yeah, <laughs> and immediately goes to sleep. And then everybody's up at five. Yeah. At like, nine o'clock, we call it Maui midnight. Yep. There's no reason to be awake. It's <laughs> the whole town. There's nothing open. It's crazy. And it yeah. feels very natural. It feels very It natural. does. I, yeah. I feel way better when I am, when I'm getting up sunrise, getting sunlight in the morning, watching sunset before I go to sleep. Like I feel way better, but it's like, how much of your life can you sacrifice for that routine, for mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I think there's a balance with it, not being militant about it, but yeah. knowing that there is an inherent way that we're meant to operate and it is synced to the the rise and the setting of the sun. Yeah. Oh, good stuff, man. Let's go. So you got to LA. What happened next? I get to LA and I'm out there for a couple of months. It's January. I'm feeling amazing. <laughs> way better than I ever felt before in the winter. I decided to get off an antidepressant medication that I had been on at that point for about 14 years. And getting off of it was quite literally like getting off of heroin. Uh, mm. Board certified doctors at UCLA have been studying this and, and that's what they're comparing it to. Speaking of Seattle, like one of the first times I really went a series or a, I guess you'd say an episode of when I was getting off the medication was in Seattle. I was, they're supposed to be watching a kid play in the NCAA tournament that I'd worked with since he had been 13 years old and I couldn't get out of my hotel room. I was like sweating through my sheets, chronically nauseous, going from throwing up to passing back out on the, on the bathroom floor. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, this is insane. Like, I don't feel sick. Like I knew I wasn't sick, but something like, this is not right. And I finally realized I was going through withdrawal and it was the withdrawal of the antidepressant medication. Cause as soon as I took it a few hours later, like back to feeling quote, what I thought at that time was normal. Right. Yeah. But I got, you know, I got out there and I just, I was an emotional disaster because what happens when you're taking an SSRI is your, my understanding is that a, an SSRI shuts down the natural serotonin that is produced in your brain and your body. Right. And so when we don't have that, we can't regulate our emotions. Our, our mood is, is super volatile. Right. And so as somebody who's had a, <laughs> somebody who had a, had a, business that I built out of my college apartment, right? There's no like paid medical leave, yeah. right? Yeah. So my business gets super volatile and I, because I couldn't get present and I would go from laughing to crying to chronic anxiety, to debilitating depression, all within a span of a couple of hours. Right. And so you can imagine like, if you were living in that emotional state, how it would be to run your business. Yeah. Right. And so I dove deep into mindfulness, into meditation. I did a massive amount of yoga. And 
after a couple months, it was really through the meditation practice. After a couple months of meditation practice, I realized why elite athletes like Kobe, visionary CEOs like Steve Jobs, why luminaries like Oprah all attributed some form of a meditation practice to their level of success. And because now there's a ton of science that backs it up, right? Meditation is to your brain what exercises to your body, right? There are areas mm. of your brain that physically change. There's an area in the front called your neocortex, which is responsible for your executive function. So your self-awareness, your focus, your decision-making. After eight weeks, science has shown that that area actually grows and gets bigger in your brain, right? So there are a bunch of different areas that, that, that will change to give you beneficial results in your brain that result in, in real skills, right? Real transferable skills out in the world. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the Christian Bible belt, I guess you could say like, you know, the upper Midwest anyway. I don't know if you consider that Bible belt, but definitely the Christian Midwest. And meditation was considered a, like, you're just like talking to the devil. It's basically how like it was portrayed in those worlds. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Christian culture. I went to Catholic very, school Did you? Okay, yeah. all the way through high school. Yeah. It wasn't looked favorably. It was always like considered a some kind of dark practice, some kind of occultish thing. Eastern religion. That's what it is. If people yeah. are afraid of it. So yoga was the same way. Uh, and there's definitely, I'm sure there is religious components. I mean, there are religious components to yoga and probably to meditation and mindfulness. And like there's, and it wasn't until maybe, you know, I don't know, five, 10 years ago that I started realizing, like kind of unpacking my, like what actually is my faith and what isn't. And I'm like, wait, meditation is not the same thing as praying to the devil. <laughs> like shockingly, they're not the same thing. And uh, the more I looked into it, the more I realized, oh, this is, and I love that phrase you just said that it's like exercise for your body is what meditation is for your brain. Like you're just training your brain to be more present. And so I struggle a lot with being present, even just in a conversation, I want to be thinking about 50 different things. And then, so I, I'm just all over the place. But when I'm doing a consistent meditation practice, one of the habits that I track every day now, am I doing at least a little bit of meditation or mindfulness? I like that word maybe more lately, mindfulness. I think most people are yeah, if they have baggage around meditation, mindfulness is a maybe an easier phrase. I'm trying to be mindful of the moment. But yeah, so when you first got into that, like this idea, like did that make the depression go away? Is it a way to handle the depression? Like what's the connection between mindfulness and depression for you? Yeah, so there's a lot of research that shows that having a consistent mindfulness practice can help with a lot of mental health issues and for a variety of reasons. Uh, but for me personally, and I'll just speak to that because that was my experience, but it was probably, a, I don't know, a month or two in, I'm sitting on my apartment rooftop in Santa Monica in the morning, sun's coming down, and I experienced this deep and profound sense of peace that I've never experienced in my life. And I knew that I was experiencing something different, something that was like not of the world. Mm. I wouldn't have put it in those terms at that time, yeah. but it was, and I think that's like the, you can create a lot of dogma around all this stuff, but the truth is, it's like, it's an experiential learning. Like you can't experience Trump's dogma all day long. And so when you can have a practice that creates a direct experience with something that is going to create a, a beneficial impact in your life, right? That's when we can, I think, take some of the, the negative connotations and, and associations away from it. I mean, there's a reason that, the Navy SEALs have implemented mindfulness training, that pro athletes have implemented mindfulness training, CEOs have implemented it, like Google has a program, right? There's a ton of science that backs it up, but I think at the end of the day, like it was this experience of, of this deep sense of peace 
that was just completely foreign to me. It was the thing that I thought I would get after I started working out college basketball players. Then I had to work out division one players and I had to work out overseas pros and NBA players and all stars. And it's like, none of this is actually making me happy. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I really going after? But it was that moment. It was that, that was one of the inflection points was, was having that. And I, and because then I had awareness, now I could start to look at other things in my life. Cause it's like, I mean, you know this, but we can't change what we're not aware of. Mm. Right. And having that mindfulness practice creates the awareness to then start to look at like, what is really going on in my, in my subconscious? Am I really running this or is my subconscious running this? So let's go to basic for someone who doesn't know anything about mindfulness, meditation, whatever. What the heck is meditation or what the heck is mindfulness? Are they related? Are they the same thing? Different words for the same topic? And then walk me through, what does that even mean? Yeah. So good question. The way I describe it is mindfulness is a skill and meditation is a practice. Mm. So mindfulness is simply the skill or the ability to create the non-judgmental, which is the key word, but non-judgmental awareness of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions in the present moment. Meditation is just an exercise to train the skill, right? It's the same thing as if you were an athlete going to the gym and you're trying to improve your vertical leap or your lateral movement or to improve a skill out on the football field or whatever it is, right? And you're running drills yep. to improve that skill. Mindfulness is a skill. Meditation is the drill to improve that skill, to improve your level of awareness. And why is that important? And why does that help people? Well, I think here's a like a super practical answer to that, right? It helps us access the present moment. Lots of times, you know, in high performance, we talk about being able to focus. Yeah. But the truth is, it's not, and I'm using something that a friend of mine uh, shared with me. He said, uh, it's not so much about sustained focus, it's about sustained awareness, right? How many times, yeah, I don't know if you played sports growing up, but like it had a coach to a know a little bit, right? So, but no matter what you're doing, right, if you wanna be good at something, one of the prerequisites is you gotta be able to focus, right? Yeah. yeah. But the problem is, is that our brains weren't designed to, you know, and we could go into, we could really go down this road, but uh, <laughs> our, our brains were not designed to make us happy, to make us present. Our, our brains were designed to help us survive. Survive, yeah, keep us right? alive. They're a survival mechanism. Yep. But now I don't have to worry about the lion jumping out of the bushes while I'm out gathering berries in, in the forest, right? Now I'm worried about psychological threats. So where I'm going with that is like, we live in a world of constant distractions, overwhelming disruption, nonstop change, right? And all these things are pulling our attention, our energy out of the present moment. And so I believe that everything that we want exists in the present moment, right? Connection, empathy, focus, flow, belonging, right? All these things, it might be, we might be going after a future thing. We might be creating a vision working on a strategy, but that process happens right now in this moment, right? And so going back to your question, like why is awareness important? Because if I'm not aware, I don't know that my mind has drifted into the future, into worry, into anxiety, into planning, into hopelessness, or my mind's in the past in regret, guilt, shame, or anger, right? But when I have awareness, right, I, I might be writing something or whatever it is, and my mind drifts to some event on my calendar two months from now, the sooner I catch myself, 
I can redirect my attention and my energy back to the present moment, back to the task at hand. And so I think that's a super yeah. practical way to to help people understand that, right? And from a, a you can call it leadership development, self improvement, whatever you want to call it, right? We can't change what we're not aware of, right? And I think there's value in getting feedback from others, no question about it, getting an objective perspective. But the truth is, is that everybody else is going to give you advice through their own filter of life, through their own lens of life, through their own trauma and experiences. And as much as they try not to, at a certain level, they're going to project some of that onto you. And when we have awareness, right, we can, the, the other piece of this, we can really tap into our intuition. Explain that. So I had a very, very difficult decision to make. I'll back up and I guess I'll share the whole, the whole thing. As I shared earlier, you know, I had this basketball business and in July of 2019, I was trying to build my speaking business, but also keep my basketball business going at the same time. As you know, <laughs> you're not a true business owner until you can be 100% hands off. Yeah, and I wasn't, sure. I was like 60, 70%. And so I kept getting pulled back in this basketball business. And it got to a point where I decided if I really want to go down this route of speaking and coaching and building this leadership development business, like I got to create more space. I, I have to get out of this basketball business. And it was a business that I, I didn't think I had any business selling, no pun intended. I didn't think there's any way in hell that I'd be able to sell this business. But I took it to an M&A firm and they did a valuation on the company. And it, they came back and said, this is a viable business. You can sell this for way more money than I ever thought it was worth. <laughs> and I decided, all right, this is it. This is, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to take some time off. I'm come live here for a few <laughs> months and then I'm going to go build this business. And the short story is, is that it got to be, we, we started shopping it around and it got to be about end of February, 2020. And I had been trying to work something out with a guy who had been my right hand man for the last 10 years. Basically it, it got to the point where I didn't, he was going to leave and start his own business and I had nothing left to sell. I had to move back. To, I had to move back to Milwaukee. And it was the last thing that I wanted to do because LA had become home to me. It was the first place that I ever felt like I belonged in my life. And I'm sitting there, March 12th, 2020, I'm going through meditation practice. And this voice just comes through. And this voice says, if you move back to Milwaukee purely for financial reasons to save this business, you can work 10 times as hard as you did out of college, but this business is going to fail. Hold my hand and I will walk with you through the fire and you will have a life greater than you could have ever imagined. Mm. And I believe that that voice came through because I was able to have enough awareness to start learning what was my ego and what was my higher self. And I know I wouldn't have had that without a meditation practice. I would have been attached to the fear-based thinking of my ego versus the truth of my higher self if I didn't have the, have the awareness. And as you know, world shut down a week later and I would have picked up my whole life and packed it up and moved back for absolutely yeah. nothing because our gym was shut down for yeah, months. Stuck in COVID. The whole thing, yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee or something. Yeah. So I think it's the awareness of, I mean, to wrap it up, like the awareness of the present moment. Am I in the present moment? Can I redirect my attention there? The awareness of what voice am I paying attention to? We all have this voice, right? It's We're either listening to the ego, which is fear-driven, or we're listening to our higher self, which is driven by love and service, right? And I think 
the more awareness you have, the more you can recognize, am I in judgment right now? Am I in criticism right now? Or am I making a decision that's rooted in love and creation and service? Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, you know, I, I once heard it said, I think it was from a pastor, so he was talking about prayer, but talking about how prayer is, most people think of it as 99% you talking and asking for things of God. When in reality, it should be more like 90% listening. And, and I think that it ties in so closely with meditation. That's why even even like you know, almost every, I'm sure religion, maybe every, maybe every major religion, I don't know, but at least Christianity sure talks about meditation and prayer are like a common, like they use those words together. Like you you pray and meditate. And the idea is like you're, lis- like you're listening to that higher, that higher voice. Like right now, when I just stop thinking or, you know, I stop talking, it's like a radio station just in my head, just like a million different words and going, I, I can't hear anything. Whether it's myself or it's God or whatever, I can't hear anything. I just hear worry and anxiety and fear. And I didn't like that thing from yesterday. And I'm judging every single thing I look at. You know, it's too hot, too cold, whatever. So meditation is a way, is a practice to bring up mindfulness to summarize what you're, say- summarize what you're saying. And mindfulness helps you stop those voices, stop the chatter, stop the AM radio station in my head. Does that sound like a decent summary? I think once you get really deep into a practice, you create more space in between the thoughts. Mm. But I think the biggest thing is thoughts, we don't realize how attached we are to some of these thoughts. Like you might have one of these thoughts about, you know, whatever you brought up, the worry, anxiety, fear, right? But the challenge is until we're aware of it, we don't realize how much energy we're putting behind the thoughts. And I think once we have more awareness, then we can detach from the thoughts. I will have to say like, you know, 10 years into a practice and not definitely not all the time. I still have my challenges with all of this. What I've noticed specifically probably in the last few years is that I just can have a thought and it just kind of floats by, but it still comes. I don't think we're ever going to stop our thinking we can get better at not being attached to our thinking, Yeah. right? Because I think it's like a lot of times the fear lives in our mind, but the truth lives in our heart. Being able to detach from that and then, and then come to you, the thing you brought, now I know what I was going to say, you brought up the judgment piece, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. To also just be in this place of non-judgment. Yeah. Like it might be another person, it might be an event that happened, like just to be able to step into the present with the awareness that you really don't know what the best thing is for you or for anybody, right? I mean, we do like at a pr- very practical level, like a certain thing, right? You know that, that I don't know what your kids' names are, but your kids yeah, should not Rosie, be doing yeah. this yeah. Yeah. and they yeah. should be doing it, right? But like in the grand scheme of things, it's like, was COVID a bad thing or a good thing for me? I don't know. It's, I'm still letting that play out. Yeah. But like, you know, it's easy to judge those things. Yeah. But I think we open ourselves up to possibility when we can be in that place of non-judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big piece. I, I use an app sometimes called uh, Calm. I'm sure you heard of okay, it. It's yeah, a, yeah, billion dollar company. But one thing that they say in Calm when you're doing like their little 10 minute meditation is like, say so over and over is, is try to view your thoughts with no judgment. So like something comes and all of a sudden you're supposed to be like just focusing on like your breathing and having like no thought, but then thoughts come. You can't stop that. And it's easy to then get frustrated with yourself. Like, oh, why am I thinking about dinner again? Oh, I'm such an idiot. And But instead to go like, oh, I just thought about dinner and back to the breath. Just like that non-judgmental for whatever reason, I don't know why that works, but it sure seems to work in terms of getting my brain to calm down a little bit. Now, when I look at the opposite, I look at social media, especially TikTok or Instagram reels or YouTube shorts, right? The swiping videos, they do the exact opposite of mindfulness or meditation, the exact opposite. They train my brain to operate faster and quicker and need more stimulus 
and to talk more and to bring more anxiety. So it's almost like if I'm going to consume social media, which I don't that often, but I, I'll scroll social media occasionally, I have to do meditation to combat that and to try to slow that brain down. Otherwise, I'm just, I'm a mess. Like if I'm just one-sided one way, I'm just, I'm a mess. Could you walk us through, for those who have never tried any kind of meditation practice before, can you walk us through that? On that, I'm so yeah. sorry. Do you consume much social media? Good question. I do, yeah. It's interesting. We could have a whole conversation about this because you know what you said, I'll go back to your question, right? I 100% agree. That, that's why mindfulness, skills like mindfulness and meditation are only going to be needed more the more yes. technology yep. infiltrates our life, yeah. right? It's not going to be a nice to have. It's going to be a prerequisite to operate as like a decent, aware, emotionally intelligent, kind human being. Yeah. We are going to need these skills. Like they should be taught, you know, some schools are starting to teach them, but like they should be taught at five years old, six years old, seven years old in schools. So I 100% agree with you and like more people need to, to recognize that, right? The question you asked, do I consume social media? I do. And I, I'm using it more to, I guess, stay up to date with like what friends are doing. Yeah. You know, I think it's that's a, a way to do that. And when I'm looking for a solution to a problem, then I'm searching for it. But I realized Every single thing in our life is a mirror for everything, right? And what I mean by that is, I know a big thing for a lot of people, and I'm taking a social media detox, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's just the surface level issue. It's like, mm -hmm. why do you need a break from it, mm -hmm. right? And the truth is, is that whatever you're seeing is triggering something inside of you that is creating a thought or a belief or something that is challenging your own self-worth and putting you into this comparison game, right? And I say that because that's exactly what has happened with me. Until I realized that I can use social media as a mirror, just like I can use any relationship in, in my life as a mirror to what is actually going on inside of me, right? And so I do, but now I'm trying to look at it through that lens and uh, it is not easy to do because it's designed to do the exact opposite. Yeah, it really is. It's designed to make you less, maybe make you focused on swiping over and over and over and over and over, but not anything healthy. So, all right. So why'd you ask, by the way? You had said about the very common negative effects that we yeah. get from social media and it was just so well juxtaposed against the sort of position that he was taking. And I was like, well... It seemed sort of, yeah. It seemed like, well, if you have these problems and he's doing this other thing, like, how do you deal, yeah, with the social media if it causes all these problems? So it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the point you made though about it's going to be more and more important. Like this is not like a yeah ancient thing that we don't really need anymore in our modern world. Like now it's vital. Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting thing though is like you're a problem solver, right? That's like at the end of the day, like you're mm -hmm. doing a lot of that all day long. When have you ever solved one of your challenges by going on Instagram, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, I'm being serious. It's like we, the content on there is so like bite-sized yeah. info that it's not, it's like, it's not deep enough to like create a real impact. Yeah. But I think the key is like with all this stuff is to have awareness around what you're, you know, you ask like why awareness is important, right? Well, awareness is also important because then we can get crystal clear on, on our uh, intentions, right? If I pick up my phone, every time I pick up my phone, I should have an intention. 
if I'm using it to escape because I don't like what I'm feeling inside in this moment, so I'm going to pick up my phone and open Instagram so that I can have a distraction from whatever I'm feeling inside, that's not a, an effective, intentional way to use social. Going back to your question, right? I did set up the timer limits, the app yeah, limits. Yeah, yeah. And so are there days when I, when it says you have reached your time limit, would you like to extend your yeah, time? I, yes. yes, I do. <laughs> but I think, yeah, just creating more intention around all the things that we do with all the noise in the world. Like we only have so much energy to spend every day. And I think creating more awareness and more intention will create more meaning and more impact and deeper connections and more fulfillment by operating with more intention. Mm. So how does one meditate? Walk me through it. What do you recommend? It can be super simple. I started out, you know, you use Calm. I started out using Headspace and it 10 minutes a day, like 10 minutes a day. First of all, I would highly suggest using a guided program. I I have a cousin who used to be an editor for Shambhala and Shambhala is like the biggest Buddhist publishing house in the world. And she used to send me all these books all the time. And I was like, I was interested in it. She went to India when she was in high school and or right out of high school and came back and taught me how to meditate when I was like 16 years old. I've always been drawn to it for some reason. Like I was in seventh grade and I read a book about a snowboarder who went through the Himalayas and spend time with, with Buddhist monks. I don't know why, right? Maybe a past lifetime, whatever it is, right? My point is, is that she used to send me all these books and I would read them and they would have all the steps. Like, here's how to meditate, set a timer, focus on your breath, notice your thoughts, all these things. But it's like, if you don't have somebody guiding you every minute, two minutes while you're starting out, you're going to become so frustrated that you're going to quit. The first thing you're going to say is I can't meditate. Right. That's probably like the number one thing that I hear from people when they tell me why they don't practice is they think that they can't do it. The truth is is that nobody can do it because it's a practice. It's not a, there's no end game in it. Right. And so get an app. I think Headspace is great. I haven't used Calm for a long time, but, um, you know, and Headspace has become super robust and it's like maybe too much for a beginner, but get an audio track, right? And, and I'm happy to help anybody out with, with starting some of this stuff. I have some uh, really basic things that people can use on their own, but get something that's gonna guide you, right? To remind you that after they tell you to sit, your eyes are closed, be in a, a relaxed but alert position, that after two minutes, when you start thinking about dinner or re- you're in regret about something that you did yesterday or you're worried about what's happening in a month from now that you have a reminder to redirect your attention back to whatever the focal point is, your body, your breath, yeah. audible experience. Right? I think that's super, super important. Yeah. What do you focus on? Is it your breath? Like, What's your thing? To me, that is the three things that I mentioned, body, breath, and sounds are, are the three things that help me anchor into the, into the moment. But I, I've realized that everybody's going to have a different path. Like Mm. I am, when I first got into this, I thought everybody needs to be doing this. And now I realize that everybody's path is different. Like your, your meditation might be being very mindful while you dance. Mm -hmm. It might be a yoga practice. It might be running, right? You know, I dated a girl several years ago when I was first, when I first started practicing mindfulness and, um, I wouldn't say I was preachy to her about it, but if she was like stressed out about stuff, it'd be like, well, 
you know, why don't you, why aren't you meditating? Why don't you get out your headspace app? Like she would do it once in a while, but she would run. And what she would do is, but she wouldn't run with music. Right? Most people go and they work out and they got to have their playlist mm-hmm. loaded on Spotify and their AirPods in and right. She would go run six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 miles with no music. And she was one of the most self-aware, mindful, compassionate people that I've ever met in my life. Right. And so I think we all have our different path to it. So I think the best thing is for you to try a bunch of different practices, different modalities and find what works for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's cool, man. Yeah. I know they talk about surfers Zen sometimes with like surfers and it, it kind of surfing when you're not even like surfing, but when you're sitting on a board out there in the water, your subconscious is just focused on keeping you steady on the board, right? So you don't fall off one way or another, but because this is my theory anyway, but because of that, you're not focused on dinner last night or the test you got to take tomorrow or whatever. You're just in the moment. And it's one of the rare moments where you're just fully present. There's no music, usually not a lot of conversation and you're just there. And it's such a feeling of just peace. Like once, once you get over the, I'm going to fall off the board, you know, like the first couple of times you go out, you're not going to feel that. But yeah, definitely at server running, I get the same thing. And then I say this a lot, but I always joke the most profitable uh, hour of my week is a massage because I have no music. I'm just sitting there. I can't do anything. It's just quiet. And it's the one time of the week where just silence. And uh, it doesn't even matter that I'm getting a massage. Like, in fact, massages actually hurt my back more than it helps. Like, it doesn't help me feel better. I do it because it forces me to just be silent for an hour and a half once a week. Um, and it feels good in the moment. Just it feels terrible the next 24 hours. But whatever. All right, man. There. Let's talk a little bit about leadership. How did you go from, okay, you're running to basketball stuff. And I, I want to teach leadership. I mean, you got a book called The New Rules for the Future of Leadership. Where did that come from? Where does that interest lie? And then we'll dig into the book a little bit. Yeah. So I think at its core, you know, leadership is influence in a lot of different ways, right? But I think I was drawn to it almost in a selfish way, the standpoint that it was so fulfilling to work with some of these kids that I worked with, just to be able to be the guide on their journey and to see, you know, my most fulfilling things that I've ever done in my life have never been about the things that I've accomplished. They've been about seeing the kids that I've worked with achieve their dreams and about what they've accomplished, right? I mean, like seeing a kid that I've worked with since he's been 13 years old that I kicked out of practice, that I had a lot of conversations with, that I challenged, that I was hard on, like hit game-winning shot in the NCAA tournament, like I don't know how you can beat that from like a, a fulfillment standpoint. And so I think I was drawn to it from, from that standpoint. It's just it, creating impact in somebody else's life with something that they are passionate about. I think it's one thing to impact somebody else's life. We'll put that in one bucket. Sure. But when you can impact somebody else's life in an area that they are passionate about, that dare I say obsessed with, right? That's a whole other ball game. Mm-hmm. You know, that it doesn't have to be, it could be anything right? That could be their family. That could be, could be sports, whatever it is. Right. But, and to me, that doesn't matter. I don't care what that thing is, but if you're passionate about it, I can help move the needle towards that. Right. So I think there's that aspect of it. You know, and I I also think I read a book when I was, I don't know how old I was, 26, 27 years old called, I know you're going to ask me these questions later because Stetson (laughs) sent me over the questions, but a book by Jim Rohn, and I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. So, you know, Jim Rohn, right? I would joke the, that every personal development person on earth today is just rehashing something Jim Rohn once said, like everybody, Tony Robbins, me, doesn't matter that we're all, we're all just repeating Jim Rohn, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's the goat. 
But I, I read one of his books and I was like, I didn't even know that that was like a, a thing, like that you could do this. Yeah. But I was young. I was like, all right, this would be an amazing life to be able to write books and share my experiences and lessons that I've learned and, and then be able to go speak on these. That'd be amazing. But like, I got to go do something first, yeah. you know? And so there's also something inherently, and now that I'm answering these questions, I think there's also something inherently fulfilling about um, helping other people overcome pain points in their life that you've also had to overcome, right? What's a pain point in my life? What's an adversity that I've gone through that I can help somebody else go through or navigate or overcome in a way that maybe they don't have to go through as much suffering as I went through? And I think that's another reason. What are some of the new rules for the future of leadership? You have a book on the new rules. So what are some of the new rules and why is it new rules? What's changed? Well, I'll take a step back and I'll talk about like kind of why I think we need new rules, yeah. right? And I think it's, I went on a run in June, 2020 and I- Did you have to wear a mask? What's that? <laughs> Did you have to wear a mask? <laughs> uh, I don't even know if mask, I don't know if, I think I was wearing, I don't know if I was wearing anything. Dude, last but night, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, go ahead. last night I was at the beach with Tammy and Bob, you know, uh, Tammy and Bob that are visiting and uh, Cam and it was 1130 at night. We're down at Seeker Beach. Beautiful night, pitch black. I was in this couple comes onto the beach. It was like a hidden beach. Nobody really knows this place is there. Beautiful spot though. And they come on the beach. They walk by. I don't know what they were doing. 11 o'clock at night. They're just like stomping around. They're like up. They're both wearing masks. <laughs> I was like, like it's 11, COVID masks? COVID masks. It's 1130 at night on a private beach, like a beach that nobody in the world knows about. They had no idea we were even there. It's literally called Secret Beach. It's literally called Secret Beach. And they walk on the beach together. They clearly came in the same car and they were both wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> Safety first. Anyway, sorry. It's, yeah. Yeah. Keep going. The people, yeah, that, you, went for, you went for a run. <laughs> I, <laughs> you're going to get canceled for that clip. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, it's like, I, uh, I'll leave my mask comment for later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I went out on this run and it's early June, 2020. You know, we've been on lockdown. I'm in LA. Like thing, you know, I mean, it's nothing's open. Yeah. Like, literally nothing. The beaches, the parks, gyms, everything's closed. And I'm going on this run and the streets are just empty. It's completely empty. And I'm running towards one of these the intersections in LA. It's like usually one of the bu busiest intersections right by a street. It's La Cienega and Beverly Boulevard right next mm -hmm. to this, to the uh, Beverly Center. And all the people that are waiting to cross the street are uh, replaced by the National Guard with armored vehicles and assault rifles, right? We have a curfew that day because everything that happened with George Floyd like a few days earlier. Yeah. And I got back to my apartment and I'm stretching out on the stairs and I just like, I couldn't get out of my head. Like this is the thought that just kept looping through my head was this is insane. This is just insane what is happening right now. Which is all these things that were colliding, right? The isolation, the uncertainty, the social justice movement, the recession that everybody thought was coming, like the, the total chaos. And I just, I realized like a, the world's never going to be the same again, right? B, leaders have never had to deal with more things at once, yeah. right? I mean, one of those things would have been tough, right? I'm sure, you know, you're running your company, yeah. right? One of those things is, is tough to deal with, but all of them happening at the same time, like this is, things are going to, are, are going to change forever in, in certain ways. And um, coming out of it, there's a, we have a purpose crisis. Like, it was looming there. All these things were looming there. These are not, when I said new rules, like these things, these challenges were looming there, 
but COVID pushed them front and center, yeah. right? So we have a purpose crisis. Like research shows that 70% of people thought about their purpose in life during COVID, right? And we're that's why we had this part of the reason why everybody's job hopping and great resonation, all these things, right? We have a purpose crisis. There's everybody's burned out. The old leadership paradigm where shareholder profits and KPIs drive all decision making, like that's you know, those companies are never gonna make it, you know, long term, right? We're feeling this like major, ma everybody's the, the isolation and, and the disconnection that everybody's feeling. Like, you know, it's pro pro I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it's part of the reason you're doing this podcast in yeah. person. Yeah. Right. Very much. Right. So much like, better than Zoom. yeah. I mean, all these things like are kind of coming front and center and like to move forward, people need to shift how they're operating. Right. People want where they spend their money and the companies that they work for to be a force for good in the world. Right. And I think leaders that leaders and organizations that continue down the old paradigm, like they're just, they're not going to make it. Right. And so some of the rules, right, is being purpose driven in everything that we do and, and having a connection between, I know it's like super cliche and, and, and I didn't, you know, the thing that's interesting is I didn't realize that I was purpose driven until I, I was on a podcast a few years ago and somebody's like, you're such a purpose driven guy. And I'm like, am I? And I had to think about it for a while. And then I look back at like everything I've done and mm. everything that had always been done with a purpose, right? And until I started really having conversations with other people, I didn't realize A, how much it was lacking for other people and B, how much disconnect there was like from that in people's work. And I think, you know, when we talk about purpose, it doesn't have to be this huge thing. Like you don't have to go out and save the world, but it's gotta be, we talk about it from a business standpoint. It's really, how do I leverage my business to make an impact on my people's lives? Like, like, can I use this in some way, shape or form to, to connect what they're doing every day at work to what we're doing as an organization and connect those dots and create the synergy between that. And that's, you know, we all want people to be engaged and, and to show up and, but nobody wants to be motivated, right? Mm -hmm. But when we can help as a leader, when you can help your people uncover that, I think um, you can create that that connection and move people from being engaged to being inspired when they show up. So being purpose driven, you know, and then using that purpose driven purpose to create a, a compelling vision of the future, be incredibly future focused. Third one we've talked about a lot is leading with mindfulness, mm. leading with awareness, leading with emotional intelligence put those all under the uh, the bucket of leading with mindfulness and then leading from the heart. I think uh, people are sick of the challenges for, for organizations and companies today is like, it's really, e I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's not that hard to figure out how to make 50 to 70 grand a year running an Amazon store or building a social following or whatever it is, right? You got to give them a compelling reason to want to come to work and it's got to be beyond the paycheck. Yeah, And having from a top-down standpoint, like having leaders that are really tapped in and connected to their own hearts and let that transfer throughout the organization, I think is crucial to make people feel like they belong, make people, give people a place where they feel safe, psychologically safe so that they can take risks and, and are, are step into their creative powers versus worrying about the stress of the repercussions of making mistakes. Yeah. Right. So those four things, purpose-driven, future-focused, lead with mindfulness, and lead from your heart. I love it, man. One piece about my story, 
you might not know, but when I started Open Door Capital, which is a real estate company I founded uh, five years ago, I wrote that. You can kind of see it there. I know on video, if you're watching on YouTube right now, they can't see it, but that's the, it says the $50 million surfers, how a small team of adventure seekers built a real estate empire, helped millions achieve financial independence and kept their humanity intact. Is the newspaper article written three years in the future. So I, awesome. Yeah, I wrote that on a yeah. plane. I came down, I showed it to my buddy Ryan who lived in the backyard, still lives in the backyard. Uh, I have an extra house back there in ADU. And I showed up to him and the first thing he said is, I want to be a part of that. And so we built it together. We brought on Brian Murray and then we brought on a hundred other employees now who are, who are running the company for me. And they're incredible. But it all led from this idea of like, here's where we're going and you're going to be a part of that. And that idea of like, yeah, leading with a vision. People need, like, people desperately need vision from their leaders. Even if you, I don't even know the answer. Like, I didn't know if we we're going to get 50 million. We got 300 million in that time period. So we're like, we six x six x our goal. Like I had to make a decision. It's more important that you decide than what you decide. So I'm like, all right, this is where we're going. We're going to do this. And everyone's like, hey, Brandon figured it out. We're going there. And like, man, I just want that sometimes. I want people around me just to be like definitive. Like we're doing this. Let's go. Come on. Okay, let's go. So I think that's, I think the vision thing, I just could not harp on enough. I would love to dig a little bit more into this idea of like leading with mindfulness. What does that look like practically? I mean, you're not talking about like leading mindful meditation sessions at work, are you? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So super practical example is modeling, right? There can't be a disconnect between what we model and what we expect or how we expect our people to show up at mm, work, yeah. right? Same thing as being a parent, right? The quickest way to, to create disconnection and distrust with the people that you lead is to have a disconnect between what you say and what you do, right? And so, but, but I think a lot of times, like I hold the belief that most people are doing the best they can with the skills that they have and the experiences that they, with the experiences that they've had in life, right? They're, they are doing the best that they can. So how do you go from doing the best that you can to being the better version of yourself, being the better leader, right? Well, you have to have awareness, right? If I'm not aware of what I'm modeling, right? I might think that I'm modeling something that is driving results and instead it's actually creating pushback, right? And so creating awareness of that and being able to model what you want from your people, I think is crucial. Uh, so that, that's a very practical thing. Another thing is, is to me, mindfulness creates a foundation for us to be more emotionally intelligent. People talk about <laughs> emotional intelligence all the time and people talk about emotional intelligence all the time. <laughs> so, um, you can cough out. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you editing? You know, no, we're, we're we don't edit. No. Oh, you don't, we're you don't edit. Awesome. Yeah, we're gonna, <laughs> uh, <laughs> You sit over choking and turning all colors if you want to, but I respect, no, it's a real show. I, I respect like, the show. What's the thing you always say about stuff on the table? Like people have stuff. It's like, yeah, it's real. Yeah, it's real. Whatever. Coffin's real. Water on the table. It's real. Mm. It's not, that, that's not a prop. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, water. That, that water bottle's not a prop. It just might have her logo on it. I'm just pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, before Alex rudely interrupted you with his cough. It's all right. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about awareness, yeah. right? And so... To me, you know, my, we've talked about this already, but mindfulness is a skill to create awareness or mindfulness is the awareness of, you know, that our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, yeah. the non-judgmental awareness, right? And so nobody wants to work for a leader who can't manage their emotional state, yeah. right? I think we've all had times when we've let our emotions drive our decision-making when it would have been a lot better for us <laughs> to take a pause, right? To get collected, to get grounded, to get centered, and then to address whatever that situation is with more intention. I mean, specifically, I remember coaching a, a basketball team when 
we lost a game and I lost it on him after the game. And like, the truth is, is that that's not, it was a complete opposite of what the kids needed in that moment, the complete opposite. And, um, nobody wants to work for a leader like that. Right. And so when we talk about being emotionally intelligent, I, I didn't get into this really in the book at all, but I think it falls under four buckets. It first one, rightfully so is self-awareness, right? It's self-awareness. And then the second one is there's four components. So self-awareness, self-management, right? Being able to manage my own emotional state. The third one is relationship awareness, being aware of the relationship, the interaction that I'm having with somebody, right? That relationship awareness and then relationship management, right? I think, you know, if a leader in our world today can do those four things at like, let's say that they can do them well 80% of the time, that's going to take them a long, long, long way in leading their people in mm. being able to bring, you know, like a vision like you have on that board out to life, right? Yeah. You got to be able to do those things. Yeah. You know, when you talk about awareness and, and, and mindfulness and meditation, it brings up that quote, I'm going to probably butcher it, but Victor Frankl, I think from Man's Search for Meaning, he wrote that book, right? That went through the Holocaust and the concentration camps. But he said something like, basically the idea was there's like a space in between the stimulus and the response and, and like that space. So something happens and then you respond to it meditation has helped me increase that even if it's by a quarter of a second exactly you know, i thought i actually thought of this yesterday i was i what my son wilder's three and he's been doing this thing since he was like one where he'll just he's like a volcano who explodes like he'll just be going on his sister's bugging him about something he's trying to get her attention she won't listen and he'll be like you know rosie 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 and he'll just as loud as he can will scream the highest pitch annoying scream ever and my natural response is to just scream at him. I just be like, stop yelling or like to slam the car over. Like that's the response. And so like yesterday I noticed it, like he screamed and my instant thought was, wait, take a pause. And I was like, oh, I breathe once. And I'm like, what's going on, buddy? And it's just like, it's like, I wanted so bad just to like yell back at him. Like, <laughs> I'm like, he's three, but that's that pause in between. And the, the better I get at meditation and I'm not good at it at all. Um, I don't know if anybody actually says they're good at it, but it's uh, it's like golf. Like we all suck, but it's the more better I get at it. Do you know any golfers that are like, I'm a great golfer? No, don't exist. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> it's so true, right? Everyone's always terrible at golf, no matter how good you are. I'm sure Tiger Woods is like, oh, I'm just a terrible golfer. Yeah, because anyway, I, that made a big impact on me. And so I'm in business settings, like when Alex over here is saying some stupid idea and I'm about to yell at him, I can take a pause. Isn't that right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to live by this phrase called respond, don't react. Mm. Is that sort of yeah. what you guys are talking about? Yeah. And I, I think no quite. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think it's, it's like mindfulness gives you the ability to do that. Yes. It's like, I can say, all right, I'm going to go into this and, and I can create an intention that I'm going to respond versus react. But the truth is the reason you're reacting instead of responding is because you don't have exactly what, what you talked about first is like, you have now created a skill within yourself so that you're not yelling at your kid, right? Yeah. And you know, it's like people might look at that and think of it as a small thing, but that's that could be a that's a massive thing. That in that moment in time, in that emotional state that your kid is in or you know, employee is in or whoever it is, like that could be a traumatic experience that creates a compounding effect for decades, right? And so that pause can can break that, yeah. can create, you know, intention around that dynamic, that relationship and, um, and the communication in that. Yeah. So it's, it's, we look at 
we look at business and life and all these things and we think it's all these all the things you see on sports center but the truth is it's it's the small simple seemingly insignificant things that we get great at and we just do consistently that actually add up in the long run it's so and, and you, what you just shared is a perfect example of that mm. it's like oh well, why is stopping and taking a breath really gonna, why is that going to do anything for me right it's a huge thing. Yeah. I know when I'm in an argument with Heather, my wife, like taking that pause, like that pause is the difference between uh, thriving marriage and divorce, right? Like when you, when you just react, like that's when things fall apart very quickly. Yeah. So taking that pause to respond and not react. I like that phrase. That's good, Alec. I, Once to in this a while. point, yeah. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. I, it's because you don't meditate. I'm, I, there we go. I'm, mm. I'm terrible at that too. I'm trying. <laughs> and you're bad at golf. But now oh, you're, but now you're, now you're judging yourself. So, oh, it's because I don't meditate. <laughs> Non-judgment. <laughs> it's, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I love it. Well, I highly recommend people check out the book. Where can they get it? What's it? I mean, it's out available on what? November 21st. 21st. I got it written here, which I think is the day after we dropped this episode. I believe. Yeah. So we scheduled that. That's, that's smart. <laughs> you got, you got a good, you a got good, good team. You got yeah, a good team. They, they know what they're doing here. So we're going to move over to another segment, but first, yeah, tell me about the book. Why November 21st. First, and, yeah. Okay. Amazon, best place to grab it. Okay. Yeah. Perfect, man. Well, let's move over. Speaking of books, that's the first question on the three, two, one pivot section. You know what? Uh, we talk a lot about pivots on the show. Uh, you're a basketball guy. So, you know, you're looking, going one direction, you pivot a little bit. could be a huge pivot, could be a little pivot, but something that changed the direction of your life. So three books, two people, and one quote. Let's start with the books. Yeah. So first book, and they're kind of just from different eras of my life. Yeah. First one is kind of already talked about this guy, Living an Inspired Life, Jim Rohn. That uh, it might be leading an inspired life. I mean, living or leading. I don't know. I read One it like 15 years ago. All right. Uh, phenomenal book. I, I just, I think it, <laughs> you already said this, but you said everybody who's in the self-help <laughs> space was already just regurgitating yes. Jim Rohn or <laughs> Zig Ziglar stuff, right? And exactly, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's just a phenomenal writer. Mm. I mean, the way he communicated just uh, spoke to me. And the book that I wrote was probably 20 years old at that time. Now it's probably 40 years old or whatever it is, right? So it's, yeah. it's I think the thing with Jim Rohn, it, it, it's timeless. Like yeah. his work is timeless. Uh, so living an inspired life. Second one I would say is The Untethered Soul. By, I wrote that down to talk to you about it. Keep going. Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Yeah, I love that book. And then um, the third one, the third one I'm kind of hesitant to say, because, but I'll say it anyways, because I'm trying to be my most authentic self. The Disappearance of the Universe. Whoa, never heard of it. What's that about? Phenomenal book that explains A Course in Miracles. Mm. Tell me you know, more. Top, top, <laughs> top topic for another <laughs> another conversation or, or out on the ocean. Why, why did that book make an impact on you? <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I don't even know how to, how to dive into it without making it a 30-minute dis <laughs> dissertation because it's... I guess the way I would describe it is the way that it's helped me. It's helped me realize that there are so many things that are going on that are influencing our, our lived experience that are so out of our control. Mm. You know, we don't realize, and I'll make it like very practical. This didn't really talk about this in the book, but like we don't realize that like I might be dealing with anxiety, not because something that I did or something that even my parents did, but I might be dealing with anxiety because my grandfather was in the civil war. Mm. Right. Or, and that's why like I'm predisposed to living in more of a, a state of fear versus a state of gratitude or mm. whatever it might be. Right. There's research now has shown that this DNA is passed down, right. 
there's so many things and it's it's like it's a very spiritual book that is like the opposite of a book that would fit into the self-help section we we're told this and you might push back on this but like my experience has been like we're kind of i think we're told a little bit of a cultural lie from the standpoint of like be a good person work hard and you'll get everything that you want in life right and i know i'm like oversimplifying it a little bit but it's like the last eight years of my life have been really difficult yeah you know it's been the, the best eight years of my life but also the most difficult in certain ways and like I feel like I've always worked my ass off and I've been very good to everybody that I've come in contact with. I've helped tens of thousands of basketball players, coaches, and, you know, in turn their parents, right? And there's just so many things that showed up that I just had no control over. And um, it helped me let go of that and not like question a lot of it and look at it through the lens of, I think we can look at I guess the way I, I would sum it up is, is it helped me view life through the lens of a classroom versus the lens of like, this is here for me to, to get something to yeah. maximize. And I think that was one of the shifts and I'm, yeah. um, the book is like 420 pages. So oh, wow. it's, it's hard, hard <laughs> to break it down into a, a, an answer on a podcast. Well, that's good, man. I mean, people we can check talk it about it later. Like, yeah. It's, uh, uh, it is, I would, uh, there's a disclaimer. W- I would say is it's definitely not for everybody. <laughs> Have you read that one? Alex? What was the name of it again? Disappearance of the universe. Yeah. Right. The difference. I've not. Sounds like something, Alex, you might want to read. I like I obscure books. Yeah. Like yeah. That, yeah. All right. Two pivot people, people that change the direction of your life. First one is a uh, a coach that I had, same Dave MacArthur. He's not not around anymore. Uh, he was a he was actually a high school. He was a coach at a high school like twenty miles away from where I grew up. I ended up getting connected to him because I was dating a girl at his dating a girl at the school that he was teaching and coaching at, and I just heard that he was just this amazing coach. And I, you know, this is back when there was like I guess we had the internet, but maybe we didn't have the internet. Anyways, I got his number, asked him to come to a, come to one of his summer basketball camps, showed up one day and, uh, just created a, a relationship with him. And this guy, he was not my high school coach. He owed me nothing, right? Yeah. He worked me out in the summers. He coached a club basketball team that I put together. He used to pick me up during the basketball season and drive me around to different high school and college basketball games to teach me about the game and build a relationship with me. I think what, what he taught me is that, uh, a relationship, trust, and connection is a foundation for being able to challenge people to maximize their potential. I've never, I never worked harder than I did when he was in the gym with me. I mean, mm. but it was because it was built upon, you know, I share his story in, in the book. Like the relationship was built upon, he wouldn't have used the word, but like the relationship was built around love. Like the relationship was built on it. And, um, I would have done anything for him because I knew that he loved me. I knew that anything that he was doing, any way that he was challenging me, telling me that I suck in front of a hundred kids at a basketball camp when I screwed up demonstrating a drill was because he thought that that was the way to reach me and I trusted him, Mm. right? So he's number one. Uh, The second guy that I would say is also another basketball coach. His name's Forrest Larson. I think... I'll never forget how he made me, f- he was he, he was uh, directing a basketball camp after the camp, he was giving a talk after the camp. 
to all the kids and that were participating, the coaches. And I will never forget how he made me feel during those 10 minutes, right? And part that's part of the reason why I'm speaking today. So I will never forget how he made me feel. That's cool. One pivot quote. I feel like Jim Rohn is just as much of a theme of this conversation as uh, as, should as mindfulness, but um, be grateful for what you have while you pursue all that you want. Mm. That's so good. That's, that's right, so talk good. about something timeless. I mean, yeah. that's why Jim. That's why Jim Rohn's so good. He's got a million of these things. Yeah, like everyone's like, oh, so good. It's like, oh. I, for, I always forget the that's charity yeah. question. It's not like we highlighted it. It's not like you highlighted it with giant yellow something. All right, man. Before I get to past, present, future, <laughs> one thing about this show is that we donate 100% of profits from the, or not profits, just all the ad revenue. 100% of ad revenue goes toward a charity of your choosing. So what charity breaks your heart? What should we send the money to? Uh, it's going to Mentor Milwaukee. A guy named Linnell Ramey is a executive director of the organization and, um, you know, I used to live in Milwaukee. I spent a ton of time working with inner city at-risk kids and uh, the basketball court. And um, he's a guy who's doing amazing work in the city and uh, I just love to support him. Cool. I love it, man. Hey, I know I'm interrupting, but it's worth it. Trust me. If you're an existing investor, a real estate investor, I'm guessing you've experienced the story I'm about to tell you. And if you haven't invested yet, well, you're going to experience this. Look, when you land a deal, you're really excited about it. You go to get a loan and then the lender asks for like 4 million documents. They ask for the same document multiple times. They screw up the timing. They go way too long. They make you get an extension. Sometimes the deal falls apart and it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me over and over and over. And that's why I'm excited to announce my new real estate lending company, Better Life Real Estate Funding, or for short, the Better Life Ref. I built it specifically for real estate investors, not just normal like homeowners who want a cute little house and their cute front porch and their cute kitchen, but for real estate investors, because we're a little weird with our loan needs, right? So check us out right now and talk with a loan concierge for free at betterliferef.com. That's betterliferef.com. All right, past, present, future. What's your advice to your younger self? Your accomplishments do not equal your value. Hmm. You know, we kind of got into this earlier, but it was the next thing is is not gonna the next thing that you're chasing is not gonna calm the present moment anxiety. Yeah. Right. The next thing is not gonna fill the hole inside of you. And um I wish I would have learned it sooner because I think um <laughs> this might be counter like counter uh the the antithesis of your show, but um it was like <laughs> <laughs> I was passionate about my basketball company, like no question about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love the work and I love what I'm doing, but like outside of the work, I was miserable. Yeah. And I, and I think just find, you know, finding different avenues and balancing out life in certain different ways. I and mean, that could mean a lot of different things, but um, just knowing that, that there is a, you know, an, an essence that is beyond this world that cannot be touched. That is where your value comes from. And, when you can tap into that and know that that's the truth and everything else is just fear and noise. That's beautiful. It, it, it calms the, the, that anxiety of the chase for what's next. Yeah. I think that's pretty, pretty fitting in this show. I think I love it. I could do some of that. Could do some of that. All right. The better life question. What's something you've done in your life in the past year that's just improved your life, given you a better life? 
everything that we've talked about <laughs> on the show so far, I think the one thing has been learning to view other people's behavior or other people's behavior. It might not even be behavior, but learning to view other people's just in, in general, let's just say in general, learning to view everything as either a call for love or an expression of love. All right. And what I mean by that is like the person who's, you know, they say something hurtful to you, somebody that you're working with that you don't, maybe you don't feel like is working with, with 100% integrity or whatever it is that at the end of the day, that's because they are calling out for love, right? That is, it's coming from fear, right? And when we can have awareness of that, then it takes some of the, makes it less personal, mm. right? When we know that, and we talked about mirrors earlier, but when it's not about you, right? And that's really just that their three-year-old self that's crying out for help or for love, right? When you can view that, you know, I just, <laughs> somebody said to me the other day, they're like, she said, um, every person that I meet now, I just, I'm totally shifting topics here, but she just start, really started getting into working on herself and reading about trauma and everything. She's like, I just look at every single person that I interact with as a, as a traumatized child. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Cause in some way, shape or form, you know, we all are, but, uh, anyways, yeah, yeah just look at it, look I, at it through that lens. I, right? I sometimes talk about the, yeah, the, the fat, like fifth grader that I was like, when I was like, oh, this is just the fat fifth grader that I'm, that I'm trying to deal with here. This is why I reacted that way. Cause I'm still like, I'm in my, you know, fat fifth grader mode. No question like, about that's my it, man. Traumatized. Yeah. Getting pushed up against the locker and told I was stupid and ugly. And like, yeah, that's that kid coming out. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a wild venture to dig into your past trauma. Oh, all right, man. Legacy. What do you want people to talk about you after you're gone? What do you want them to say? I think about this in two ways and they're kind of the opposite of each other. One of them is just hope that, that my work in some way, shape or form helps people lead with love more, more empathy, kindness, compassion, right. In the world and, and spreads that somehow that lives on. The other part of me feels like this is such a transitory experience that I don't care and I just want to be in the present moment. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of the things that, that I want in life include those things in the present moment. So I think they, they both play off each other. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, let's get to the wrap up. What are you excited about? What's coming up? I know the book is. Book release. What am I excited about? I think what I'm excited about is there is... I think the older we get and the more work that we put out, the more we are coming to our authentic, most authentic self. I think that's it for me. Like, that's what I'm excited about. Like, I feel like, you know, the basketball world is, can be such a toxic culture, right? And, uh, you know, pro sports in general, but, uh, you know, the basketball world can be such a toxic culture. And I just didn't feel like I, um, I fit in all the time. I just felt like I belong. Like I was just, sensitive kid and this toxic culture. And then I guess where I'm going with that is like, I feel like it's this, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, I'm getting to a place where I'm able to merge my life experiences into what is most authentic for me right now. And I think I'm excited about that. Mm. I love it. Last question then, where do people find you? Hang out mainly on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram at who is Mike Lee or mindshiftlabs.com. Mindshiftlabs. Is that your company? Okay. Very cool, man. I appreciate you. It's been great, man. I love talking about like 
stuff that we haven't really covered, we have not covered on the show before. Like we've not really covered meditation, mindfulness, even leadership. We haven't covered a whole lot yet. So appreciate you. Thank Thanks you. for having me on, man. It was awesome. Appreciate you. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife, abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.